0: Okay, so Yasmeen Abutalib, health policy reporter for The Post. The government has finally started giving out free rapid COVID tests that are delivered straight to your home. They come through the mail. I'm wondering, what are you going to do with your four tests once they show up at your house?
1: Wow, you know, I actually, I haven't thought about that. I have some rapid tests right now, and I I almost look at them as this precious resource. Mm-hmm. The way that I think about these tests is the way that I think about like getting
0: a like a genie in a bottle where you get your three wishes and you better not waste any of your wishes on something stupid that you'll regret <laughs> later wasn't important enough to spend a wish on.
1: That's exactly how it feels.
0: From the newsroom of the Washington Post. This is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Thursday, January 20th. Today, what you can expect from the government's rollout of at-home COVID tests. And later in the show, we'll talk about China's extreme zero-COVID policy and how it's affecting the Beijing Olympics. This week, the government launched a website where people can order free at-home COVID tests. You can get four per household, they get mailed to you via the postal service, and officials said that the tests would be shipped within 7 to 12 days after being ordered. But as we heard from Yasmeen, there are a lot of questions about whether this is all coming too late.
1: Testing has been one of the planks of the response across both administrations, the Trump and Biden administration, where the U.S. has never really been where it needs to be. And it's it's one of these problems that has always been so acute every time we're in a surge. Every single time there's been a surge over the last two years, testing is the issue that emerges. These long lines where people are waiting hours for tests, PCR tests that are taking three or four days to come back, at which point the result's kind of useless. So I think when we look to other countries that have done this well, one of the common themes is that the government makes a big purchase of tests and they distribute them to their citizens free of charge or at very low cost. And so the U.S. is very late to this. So tell me, what kinds of tests are these? So these are rapid antigen tests. These are tests that you can have in your home. You basically do the swab yourself. You'll swab your nose or your kid's nose or whoever. You put it in some solution, reagent. uh, You'll drop it into the test. And the test within 15 minutes is supposed to tell you whether or not you have covid And it's great in theory, but these tests do seem to be less sensitive with Omicron. There are lots of anecdotes of people using the tests like they're supposed to or they think they're supposed to. They think they're negative only to find out from a PCR a couple days later that they're positive and might have exposed their family and friends in the meantime. I've had friends where that's happened. Hmm.
0: So then are you saying that these tests are going to do more harm than good if there is a possibility that they're going to create false negatives where people are actually positive?
1: I don't think they're going to do more harm than good. I think the tests are an important tool, but I think we need to be really honest about their limitations. And I think one of the places where there is a lot of confusion and where the government hasn't done a great job providing more guidance is how reliable the tests are when they're most appropriate to use, what you should do in the case that you have been exposed, you think you might have it, but the test is giving you false negatives. I don't think we should overpromise or oversell what these tests are able to do. And people are learning that anecdotally, but there hasn't been a very clear kind of honest conversation about how these can be used. No one has ever said these are just as good as PCR tests. The the administration Mm -hmm. has been honest about that from the start, as has the FDA. But I think there have been a new set of challenges with Omicron that haven't been clearly explained to people, and people don't know when they can rely on the tests and what to do with the results.
0: What are the hopes for the effect that these tests will have? Like, do public health officials think that these four tests per household are going to change the game in the pandemic or in the spread of this variant?
1: They don't. And in fact, they say the timeline for which the tests will be sent out around two to three weeks from now is probably going to be too late for this surge in a lot of parts of the country. The U.S. is huge. So we're, we're not all going to experience the Omicron surge at the same time. It does seem like the East Coast and some other major metropolitan areas will probably be past the worst of their Omicron surges in, in two to three weeks. But many other parts of the country have yet to kind of experience the worst of it. So that's it, it could be very helpful for those surges. But four tests per household is not going to be a major game changer. The idea hmm. is you want to be able to use these tests with some regularity. The idea being this allows people to still live their lives, to test themselves before gatherings and to have some peace of mind that they're negative. I mean, to give you an example, in the United Kingdom, residents can get two tests per week and the recommendation is that they all test themselves twice a week. These tests are meant to be used serially, which means, you know, every day or every couple of days, because if you're negative on Thursday, you're negative on Thursday. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be negative on Friday.
0: Is there any chance that the government is going to take up more of that kind of strategy and continue to send out these tests? Or from what we can tell right now, is it like these are your four tests and that's all you get and you better use them wisely?
1: Well, President Biden did announce this week that the government was purchasing another 500 million tests. So right now on this website, the government's distributing 500 million tests. And then he said they're purchasing another 500 million to distribute. It's really challenging in the U.S. because the population is huge. We have 330 million people manufacturers can only produce so many tests at once. And it's not fair to have households clamoring for 30 tests and then other households not able to get them at all, especially because they say they want to be able to address some of the equity issues with this. So they're prioritizing zip codes of communities that have been especially hard hit by the pandemic and may have fewer resources. It's a really challenging situation, and this is a good step, but it's certainly not going to resolve the chronic testing problem that we've had in the United States.
0: And I have seen some people who have already tried to order their tests online run into problems, particularly if they are not in a single family household of four people or less. That people who live in buildings with multiple units have had trouble. People who live in households that have more than four people don't really have an option for being able to order the number of tests for the people in their house. So what, what is going on with that?
1: So like any website launch, there were glitches with this one. And one of the problems that seemed to emerge in the first couple of days of this website is that people who live in buildings that multiple households could live in, so whether it's an apartment building with numerous units or a house divided into subunits, college dorms, if someone from that building had already placed an order, other people might not be able to place their order even though they were a separate household. And the White House said they thought this was... Limited to a small number of buildings across the country, but I think that we'll have to wait and see how many people are impacted by that, because as we know, some housing situations are more complicated than others and more than one family or family unit could live in a single complex.
0: And then what about households with more than four people? What are they supposed to do?
1: I don't think there is an option. If you're a household with six or seven people, you still unfortunately only get the four tests. And this is to try to protect against people hoarding tests. But you're right. In in bigger households, and a lot of households are more than four people, whether there's multiple kids or multiple generations living together, it's almost like you have to decide who gets the tests and how to ration them. I will say one thing the White House keeps saying is this is not the only testing option out there. People still order rapid tests. They point to the fact that Private insurers will reimburse it. They've set up community testing centers. Obviously, people are still supposed to go get PCR tests, which are much more reliable. But it's a really challenging situation. It can be hard right now to get an appointment for a PCR test. A lot of people don't have the upfront cost to pay for rapid tests until their insurance reimburses them, which can take weeks or months, depending on your insurer. So they are definitely taking steps to try to address these issues. But it is a really challenging issue. We're not in a great situation right now in terms of testing. You know, I I think the
0: criticisms of the rollout of these rapid at-home tests delivered straight through the mail from the government are valid. And it's important to talk about these things of like what happens to households that have more than four people or the the, like what are four tests actually supposed to achieve if this is the only thing that we're going to be getting. But I also wonder if there is a sense of like, look, the government is sending us free stuff, They didn't do that before. They're doing that now. That is a net positive. We should just shut up and accept our tests and be grateful for them.
1: You could definitely make that argument. I think if you talked to a lot of public health experts, they would say it's really important that the Biden administration is is purchasing these tests now. And one of the things that gets lost in this discussion is that because this virus ebbs and flows, we have these huge surges and then they come down and for a couple of months, it seems like things are pretty calm. There's not a huge demand for testing. If testing manufacturers are reacting to market demands, then they're going to wind down the number of tests they produce in these lulls that we have, where like our very brief summer of freedom last year, that's when when manufacturers closed some plants, they laid off staff because not that many people wanted tests. It's really important that the government purchase these tests and and for going forward which the administration is doing right now so that they keep manufacturing them they keep ramping up production they keep their production lines open so that the next time there inevitably is some kind of surge hopefully not as bad as this one the tests are there they're not suddenly like okay now we have to start over and start producing millions and millions of more tests we've got to hire people because that that's an on-ramp it takes some time to get to that point and that's where we found ourselves with omicron
0: But I think let's talk about how precious these tests feel demonstrate how they have always felt like somewhat, somewhat of, a, of a scarce resource. And you saw that particularly during the holidays when all of a sudden everybody wants to see their family all at the same time. There are These long lines, no one can find a rapid test and that there are these peaks and troughs of availability that even now when theoretically there will be more tests available, we don't really know how to use them in a regular way or how to treat them like anything other than something to hoard. So I wondered like what that says about how how this testing situation here in the U.S. remains so complicated.
1: That's a a great way to sort of sum up where we have always been on testing, which is that If you can get an appointment and you can get your results back in a day, that's amazing. And in the U.S., you've usually had to pay good money to be able to get results back in a timely fashion. You can't go get a PCR for free and have the expectation that you'll have the results within a few hours or within 24 hours. But I do wonder with the rapid test, because the government has committed to purchasing a billion of these, and hopefully this Omicron wave will be over in a few weeks, whether in a month from now or two months from now, we will be in a situation where there isn't such a huge testing demand, that caseload will be in a much more reasonable place than it is right now. And they'll, if you want them, they're there. And it's, it's not so hard to get a hold of them. And maybe they'll be cheaper because the government has bought so many of them. I think we have to kind of wait and see, but it would be great if the US could finally get to that kind of situation on testing, which I think people hoped we would be at a long time ago.
0: Yasmin Abu Talib is a health policy reporter for The Post. This story was produced by Ariel Plotnick. If you have not yet signed up to get your at home COVID tests for free, you can do that online at covidtests.gov. We will also put a link to that in today's show notes. After the break, we'll talk to foreign correspondent Eva Doe about China's COVID-0 policy. At a time when so many of us are surrendering to the idea that we're just all going to get COVID despite our best efforts, China is cracking down. We'll be right back. So Eva, many countries around the world right now have started to shift their strategy around COVID. They're basically giving up on completely eliminating COVID. And they're talking about this idea of just, you know, we have to live with the virus, just kind of moderate it. But we're not going to completely banish it from the world. That's the case, as you know, here in the U.S., many parts of Europe, South Africa. But it sounds like in China, that is very much not the attitude that they have about COVID right now.
2: Exactly. China is one of the few countries in the world that's still pursuing this COVID zero policy where um, even a single case is considered a case too many. Hmm. So you see entire cities being locked down over just a handful of cases because there's really no allowance for any spread of the virus.
0: And what is the current state of COVID cases in China right now?
2: So to give you an idea, the official tally on Tuesday was 127 new cases across the country. Hmm. And so keep in mind, this is a country of 1.4 billion people. So that's minuscule. But even so, the country is still in sort of war mode. There are cities that are partially locked down, where in certain areas people are being told to stay in their houses A large number of flights into China have been canceled. There's really a lot of heightened vigilance Mm -hmm. for just a small amount of cases.
0: I think one cue that a lot of countries have taken to lighten their restrictions has been vaccination that if you get vaccine rates pretty high, then the need for such strict lockdowns, at least they see is not necessary. What is the vaccination rate in China? and do they see vaccines as a reason to kind of take their foot off the pedal of some of these harsh
2: restrictions? Unfortunately, what we've seen is that the vaccination has not been able to, let China open up the way they had predicted maybe a year ago. So in China, they've reached more than 80% of the population vaccinated with two shots, which is like a Herculean vaccination drive. But even so, you know, some people's vaccines are no longer fully effective. Hmm.
0: What are the vaccines that are available there? And are those vaccines effective or more or less effective than say, the ones that we have here in the U.S.?
2: So China is largely re- relying on its domestically developed vaccines. So Sinovac and Sinopharm are the two main vaccine makers. They're using an older, more tried-and-true vaccine technology, which means China was able to make them fairly rapidly and to scale up the production. But they aren't as effective at keeping off the coronavirus than these mRNA vaccines developed by Pfizer and Moderna. And that's sort of the gold standard that China is trying to develop right now.
0: What is it like for people there right now, especially having gone through this already? I mean, gone through lockdowns, to the extent to which I think that a lot of Americans don't really understand, like how their lockdowns were so much more intense than I think what most Americans experienced. And so, What is it like for them now going back into this incredibly difficult period?
2: Well, on the ground, it really differs. In most of the country where there have not been cases, daily life is relatively normal, except you need this QR code that proves your vaccination status and proves your health status. And it's checked wherever you go. Like if you want to take the train, if you want to... um, Go into public places. And so that is on the looser end. And then this all changes dramatically when you get to areas where they have seen these localized outbreaks. And for places like that, often people are told they have to stay in their homes. The most severe case was in Xi'an in central China. It's a city of 13 million, and the entire city wow. um, was confined to their homes for several weeks.
0: Tell me more about what it's been like there and some of these measures that have been put in place to try to keep people from spreading the virus.
2: Well, in some cities, local authorities have really been um, naming and shaming people to follow the rules. So what we've seen is like in Xi'an, when they locked down the city, there was, for example, a man who tried to bicycle all night out of the city to evade the lockdown. And he was tracked down, brought into centralized quarantine, and his case was publicized. And then for a while, no one was allowed out on the streets of Xi'an. And so um, one, one other person was caught driving when they weren't supposed to, and they were actually put in jail for several days, partly to warn others that, hey, these rules are serious, and you really have to follow them.
0: Wow, that is pretty extreme. You know, the Beijing Winter Olympics are starting in two weeks. Athletes are about to start arriving in China. And I wonder how much of this zero COVID policy is in preparation for that, that this is China on the world stage and that they don't want anything, including an ill-timed COVID outbreak, to mess that up.
2: Yeah, I think there are two parts to this. One is just that China does not have enough vaccines immediately to give everyone in the country a booster shot. And so for now, if there is an outbreak that begins to spread, a lot of people could potentially get it. And this is um, this general situation is intensified a hundredfold because of the Olympics coming up. No one wants to be the local official who is responsible for an outbreak getting out of control and making China look bad right before the Olympics. On the local level, officials have been incredibly strict because they don't want to be the weakest link.
0: What are some of the restrictions that we're going to see on the Olympics here in terms of what crowds and spectators will and will not be able to, to do or participate in?
2: This has been changing day to day. And just this week, China announced that there will be no tickets sold to the public to attend the Olympics that only predetermined groups will be able to go who have gone through thorough health vetting. And so this is just different this week from the week before. Uh, What we know now is that athletes going into the Olympics have to have an app that tracks their health status. China has announced it's going to be this closed loop uh, management system, which means there's no contact between the bubble of the Olympics and the outside world of China, which means from, from the moment you land in at the airport, you go into this bubble and there's no way to go outside to tour the city or do anything afterwards.
0: What I think is really interesting here is that what we have learned over the course of this pandemic, and especially with the most recent variants, is that no single country can kind of completely eliminate COVID by themselves, right? That like no matter what kind of measures you take, how low your numbers are, if COVID is circulating elsewhere in the world, Eventually, it's going to come back to you. So I'm wondering like, what China's long game is here and how long they're prepared to have this policy in place.
2: Yeah, I, I don't think for China's leaders, this is the ideal situation. I don't think they have an immediate answer. One way out of this would be for China to develop more effective vaccines, which scientists are working on in China, that um, multiple groups are trying to come up with a better vaccine. But lacking that, it's unclear how China comes out of this pandemic, because at the current vaccination rates, it's going to be difficult for them to lift these controls without seeing a resurgence in cases with 1.4 billion people.
0: Eva Doe is the China business correspondent for The Post. The story was produced by Alexis Diao. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was mixed by Sean Carter and edited by Maggie Penman. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post.